caregiving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Purcell, on my podcast, The Accidental Care Partners, as I bring you information and tips for caregiving from other family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next 20 or so minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hi, welcome to episode five of the Accidental Care Partners podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell. As stated in earlier shows, in addition to my professional work, I have also been a care partner within my own family. You'll hear more personal stories from my experience caring for my parents in this episode. So if you want to know more about the backstory, go to episode zero and one. The thing I want to talk about today is the idea of person-centered care. This definition was written in late 2015 by the American Geriatrics Society Expert Panel on Person-Centered Care after a thorough research of existing literature. They determined that person-centered care means that individuals' values and preferences are elicited and, once expressed, guide all aspects of their health care supporting their realistic health and life goals. Person-centered care is achieved through a dynamic relationship among individuals, others who are important to them, and all relevant providers. This collaboration informs decision-making to the extent that the individual desires. I've given the source for that in the show notes. But to restate this in a very simple way, The person at the center of care, who we are calling your care receiver, should be the most important voice when deciding what is best for them. If your loved one is able to express his desires or wishes about his health care, or even his end-of-life wishes, those desires should guide all aspects of his care. That means everyone, the primary caregiver, the entire health care team of physicians, and anyone else who provides care will work in collaboration to support the realistic health and life goals of the care receiver. On the other hand, if your care receiver is not able to express his or her thoughts or feelings, then the person who knows the care receiver best should speak on his behalf, and hopefully your care receiver has already designated a health care power of attorney who is the person that they would have to speak on their behalf. Many families find themselves divided when it comes to providing care. This usually results in having so many opinions and yet ignoring the one that counts the most. You may be dealing with this issue right now. And if you are, I encourage you to take a step back and look at the voices around the table. Is your loved one able to express her desires? If not, who is speaking on her behalf and making her desires known? Who is supportive of those desires? Who is not? Can you understand why the ones who are unsupportive are taking their unique positions? Are all the care partners, the care receiver, the doctors, the family caregivers, talking about the best possible care that is realistic given the specific circumstances? Which voice is being heard above all the chaos? If you are the health care power of attorney, are you able to stand against the opposing views in order to support and advocate for the desires of your care receiver? Now, I want to be clear. Everyone has a right to their opinion and to throw in their two cents. But the wishes of the care receiver should be the focus of the discussion 
If those wishes would bring harm, then, of course, the voice of reason must prevail. If those wishes simply mean that more effort will have to be made to bring the wishes to fruition, then the care team has a responsibility to work together to support those goals. So I have a few questions for you today, just to get you thinking about this whole concept. If the care receiver has food preferences that are different from the caregiver, who gets to decide what you're having for supper? If the care receiver is cold and wants the house to be warm, but the caregiver is having hot flashes, who determines what temperature the thermostat is set on? If the care receiver wants to continue driving, but the caregiver has good reason to think that would be bad judgment, who makes the call? If the healthcare team is advocating for some treatment, but the care receiver does not really want that treatment, how do you, as the primary caregiver, support your care receiver's decision? These are all issues my family faced. And while I don't pretend to have all the answers, I will tell you how it worked for us. In my mom's case, the healthcare professionals determined the treatment plan without my mother's input and without talking with her power of attorney or the rest of her family care team. The physicians wanted her to have radiotherapy to her brain and assured her it would prolong her life. She wasn't really understanding how short the time was that was left, so she thought it would add months, maybe years, if she was lucky. You know, that's the funny thing about brain cancer, too. Once the brain tumors or the lesions get started, depending on where they are in the brain, they can really affect changes and a diminished ability to process information and to make sound decisions. So even though everyone except my mom understood that her life was in its final chapter, we supported her desire to receive radiotherapy to her brain. She had always been a fighter, and we believed that she would have made the same decision if she had fully understood the gravity of her situation. But it was hard not to have ill feelings toward the medical establishment due to the lack of communication. We were actually presented the plan for mom's care and what I'll call a meet-the-doctor appointment. The neurologist had reviewed my mom's records and her test results, but had never even met her. Remember when I talked in an earlier show about not being able to unknow something you've learned? Well, my professional career has revolved around providing patient-centered care. So I was waiting for the physician to use a patient-centered approach. Now, patient-centered model to providing care has been around for at least 25 years. This is not a new idea, but it does go against the medical model of care, which is where the physicians make all the decisions. In the patient-centered model, the patient is the main decision-maker. All of the information is provided so that an informed decision is being made. So in my mom's case, when he didn't seek her input, I spoke up and asked who was on her treatment team. Well, I think he must have been offended because he rattled off about 20 names of people that we did not know and had never met. But most alarming to me was the fact that mom wasn't even on her team. So not surprisingly, my mom's treatment plan was great from the medical research perspective but it sorely missed the mark of meeting my mom's psychological and social needs and really caused a severe hardship on her. According to the plan, 
Mom had to be at the University Medical Center by 8.30 a.m. each treatment day, which would have been stressful but doable if we lived in town. But we had to travel in from a rural area, and it took us on average 75 minutes. For someone who had great difficulty getting up and getting going each day because she was battling chronic end-stage COPD, this was an insane plan. But the absolute worst came when a university researcher called and offered my mom a $25 stipend to complete an end-of-life decisions survey. Up until this point, my mom had not been told, in these words, that she was at the end of her life. She was very confused as to why this researcher was asking her that question. But understanding did sink in, and mom's response was to hand me the phone. After hearing the researcher's spill, I politely refused the stipend and hung up. How very ironic. The researcher wanted to know how my mom had made the decision to undergo aggressive treatment like radiotherapy when she was at the end of her life. If my mom had not been sitting beside me, I would have told the researcher to go ask the neurosurgeon and the radio oncologist. But I tell you this story because I just want you to know how important it is for you to be proactive as a member of the care team in order to advocate for your loved one when decisions are being made. Don't assume the physicians or other healthcare providers know what your loved one desires. So let's turn our attention to other possible issues. Food can be a big deal, but this was not really an issue with my mom. She ate what she wanted until three days prior to her death. But we did have some issues with my dad, because remember, we became immediate caregivers for him upon my mom's death. And remember, he was in the early to mid-stages of Alzheimer's disease, so he was still somewhat himself, even though his memory was unreliable, but he still knew what he liked to eat. When it was my rotation to be with him, I cooked things he liked just as he had always cooked them. I'm not sure how the other caregivers handled the food situation. But there were certain things that my dad had never eaten. And it was always interesting to me to come in for my rotation and to find some of those foods left in the refrigerator and left for his lunch the day after. Well, it was clear that he hadn't eaten because if they had to be heated in the microwave or the oven, that wouldn't happen because he couldn't remember how to do that. So really this made me wonder what he was doing to eat but then I noticed he was snacking. And that's not bad for the short term, I guess, but if that is the main source of food for any period of time, the physical health is going to be compromised. Good tasting and healthy foods are the better option. So may I suggest a compromise? If your care receiver wants something that you don't particularly want to eat, then why not get something that both of you like or have two separate servings? You know, you can buy individual servings of most everything now, and that would actually solve the whole problem. But a side note here is worth mentioning. Care receivers with any type of dementia may eventually forget what foods they prefer. As my dad's condition continued to deteriorate, we knew something big was happening in his brain because he started drinking sweet tea. And this was one beverage he never, ever drank. He preferred Diet Coke or milk, depending on what he was eating. He drank sweet tea for the last year of his life and never once complained about it. 
And it still makes me smile because knowing that he didn't mind the tea helped me believe that he had found a place of peace. And just remember, taste and preferences may change with other chronic diseases too. So keep a watchful eye out. And here's another issue that can be very divisive. And it may already be something that you've had to deal with in your own life. But it's the issue of the thermostat. Regardless of the season, my dad was cold all the time. And he always wore a light jacket. Well, my sisters and I were all in our mid-50s. So we were at a time in our lives when we didn't need jackets, if you know what I mean. We needed air conditioning, but we tried to strike a happy medium. So we used fans to keep the air moving, but we kept the house comfortable for dad. And we dressed accordingly because it was about his comfort, not ours. So today we've talked a little bit about the whole concept of patient-centered care which very simply stated just means that we keep the care receiver's desires and wishes front and center. And we do everything we can to make their life as enjoyable as it can be as they journey through this final season. Next time, I'm going to talk about an issue that is really regarding safety, the safety of your care receiver. So we'll talk about issues such as driving, living alone, Things that are sort of hard conversations to have, but the whole point is that the decisions need to be made based on keeping your care receiver safe. So until next time, thanks for listening. That's all I have for today. You can find more information on our website, which is the accidentalcarepartners.com. And you can also find information from us on our Facebook page, which is also titled Accidental Care Partners. Um, Check both places for updates and maybe information on future support groups. Um, If there's enough interest, then we'll try to make that happen. Also, please help us connect with other caregivers who need the information we have to provide. And you can do that by liking, sharing, and subscribing um, in the buttons below. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, Show notes and tip sheets will be posted on the AccidentalCarePartners.com website, and you can also leave comments there. Another way to reach me would be through email to CarePartnersPodcast2020 at gmail.com. I will respond to you as soon as I can, and I will use your feedback to produce future episodes. So I really want to hear from you. So until next time, always remember, I know that caregiving is very difficult. So be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.